Shall we turn, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 4? Some time ago, uh, my mother died in a nursing home in Florida, down there at uh, Park of the Palms. And uh, sometime after that, in that little twilight zone between being asleep and being awake, that kind of never-never land when you're neither one thing nor the other, I came to the realization that I was praying for my mother. And uh, I realized all of a sudden that uh, that was uh, uh, not a kosher thing to do. My mother was in heaven. She didn't need my prayers anymore. And I thought of all the times that I could have prayed for her, but didn't. And uh, in this kind of in-between world, I was feeling very sorry for myself to think that I couldn't pray for my mother anymore. And uh, I was sharing this with Jean at uh, breakfast a little while afterwards, and uh, I was telling her about it and how the Lord had said to me in that uh, midnight hour, well, you can't pray for your mother, but you can give thanks for her. So I gave thanks for my mother. I was sharing this with, with Jean at breakfast, and she said, yeah, but you can not only give thanks for your mother, you can give thanks with your mother. Now that's the uh, special blessing that attaches to those who know and love the Lord. Uh, we haven't lost our loved ones. We know where they are. And if you know where something is, it's not lost. That's why in the book of Job, when God gave Job double for everything, he didn't double his sons and daughters. He gave them the same number. He hadn't lost his sons and daughters. They were dead, but he hadn't lost them. He knew where they were. And when the last member of his second family came home, he had seven sons and three daughters in his second family, seven sons and three daughters in his first family. When he got to heaven and the last of his children came home, he counted 14 sons and six daughters. So we haven't lost them. And what we can do, we can give thanks with them. Our, our, our dear friend and brother Lacey, is, he's got the advantage of us right now because he's seen his face. We haven't seen his face yet, but he has. He's not doing anything much different over there than he was doing down here. Uh, he many a time got up and gave thanks. And that's what he's doing over there. And we can join him. Uh, heaven isn't very far away, you know. In fact, uh, I once heard Jim Voss uh, the electronics wizard 
after his spectacular conversion uh, in Prairie Bible Institute demonstrating the wonders of electronics and the, and, uh, the mysteries of the spectrum. Uh, he was pointing out that for all we know, heaven might be right where we are, only on another time-space dimension. It's not very far away. It's only a step, absent from the body, present with the Lord. What could be quicker than that? And I thought just for a few minutes tonight, I was going to speak on something else, but I just got feeling that perhaps it would be interesting to see what my mother is doing over there right now, and what Lacey is doing over there, and all that great multitude of the redeemed who have loved the Lord and looked for his coming, but death came first. Uh, they're on the other side. Uh, they're fully conscious and fully aware of what's going on in the world all about them. When D.L. Moody died, he had the most exciting time of his life. Uh, he, he kept on telling his family around his bed, don't call me back, don't call me back. Uh, he saw right across Jordan, right into the glory land, and he, he said to his son, Will, who was standing by his bed, he said, I can see the children. He had two little grandchildren who died in infancy. He said, I could see them. Irene and Dwight, he said, I could see them. Don't call me back. This is wonderful. It's only a step away. And at death, that world comes very near. And sometimes those uh, who are crossing over are able to call back and tell us what they see. There's a plaque in the halls of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. It's a statement that D.L. Moody once made when he was preaching. Uh, there's a little plaque that has a picture of his grave in Northfield, Massachusetts. And underneath it has a famous statement that he made in one of his sermons. He said, one of these days you'll read that D.L. Moody of Northfield is dead. Don't believe a word of it, he said. <laughs> I should be more alive that day than I am today. And Revelation chapters 4 and 5 tell us what's going on over there, just across Jordan, not very far away. We read in chapter 4 where that countless multitude on high are singing Verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. And then in chapter 5, we read that they sung a new song. That was the old song. That was the song that the sons of God sang when they saw creation spring in all its pristine wonder from the hands of God in the early dawn of time. Job tells us how the sons of God shouted for joy. 
that's the old song, the song of creation. Here's the new song, verse 9, chapter 5. They sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. May the Holy Spirit bless the reading of his word to our hearts. This unforgettable chapter divides into three parts. John came away from this experience with a memory of an unforgettable in fact that throne is mentioned 17 times in two chapters uh, mostly chapter divisions while they're very functional they certainly weren't inspired and very often they're more of an inconvenience and a hindrance than they are a help but I, I, I have a feeling that this is a good chapter division 17 times the throne is mentioned 12 times in chapter 4 five times in chapter 5 and in chapter 4 it's evidently a throne of government and that's the thought always connected with the number 12 and in chapter 5 it's obviously the same throne but now it's a throne of grace the number 5 is also always connected with the idea of grace but there was this unforgettable throne and then he comes away with the memory of an unforgettable throng. He sees that enormous multitude that he describes at some length, picking out particular members of a hierarchy of heaven for special mention. But uh, the overall impression is of an unforgettable throng. And then you have, in the last part of the, these two chapters, taken as a unit he comes away with the memory of an unforgettable thrill the thrill of seeing the Lord Jesus step into the spotlight of eternity and become the center of everything our loved ones are looking upon that unforgettable throne it's a throne of government in chapter 4 and they, they sing about the one who is worthy because he has created all things. He's worshipped in chapter 4 as the Lord of creation. It's a throne of grace in chapter 5. Thou art worthy for thou art for slain. Uh, once the Lamb is introduced uh, everything takes second place to that. He's the Lord of creation in chapter 4, but he's the Lamb of Calvary in chapter 5. When you come to worship the Lamb, it's a new song and it's raised an octave higher. The old song of creation that filled all heaven with song and bliss and hallelujahs and hosannas for countless ages uncountable ages has now been replaced by the new song of redemption but there is that unforgettable throne our loved ones 
are gathered around their throne and they're gazing upon it, awed by its majesty. There was a mystery connected with that throne. Uh, in fact, as you read the verses that open this section of the book of Revelation, everything is mysterious. God sitting upon the throne is described as a stone. Well, that's extraordinary to say, say the least. I mean, when you think of God, uh, you think of many symbols for God. But uh, whoever would have likened God to a stone, a jasper, and a sardius. So that's the first and last stone in, in the high priest's breastplate. Uh, but there it is, a God likened to a stone. We, we just are not familiar with that. And the rainbow is different from anything we've ever seen on earth. Uh, it's not only is it a complete circle, but it's just one color. It was an emerald rainbow, color that we associate with this planet. The green planet. And that, that color that is so predominant down here is now predominant up there. It's different. It's not the kind of rainbow that we meet in the book of Genesis. And then we see those living creatures, and they're different from anything that we would expect. We've never seen a creature with four faces. And the elders, gallons of ink have been spilled uh, by commentators trying to decide who the elders are. And we read of the seven spirits of God, and that has created a whole library of literature in itself. So there is a mystery connected with that throne. And there is a majesty connected with that throne. Everything about it is awesome. There was the rainbow round about the throne, the twenty-four elders, the seven spirits of God, the sea of glass, the cherubim, thunderings, lightnings, awesome sights and sounds and all the way down through that chapter this description of the throne in all its majesty and all the terror that it holds for the ungodly on that day when the books are opened and the most frightening thing about chapter 4 as you read about that throne and, and uh, all the aspects of God's judgment associated with that throne, how flawless it is, and how formal it is, and how factual it is, and how final it is, and how fundamental it is, and how fearful it is. Most terrible fact of all, how fatal it is. There's no lamb in chapter 4. It must be a terrible day awaiting the unsaved when they stand at this throne. And there he is on that throne, the Lord of creation not the Lamb of Calvary to them. And so there is this unforgettable throne. I've often thought the reason why John dwells so much upon this throne, why God 17 times in these two chapters keeps on talking to him about the throne, the throne, the throne. As he sees the apocalyptic judgments unfold throughout the rest of the book, and he sees things that chill his blood and hears blasphemies that 
make his very hair stand on end. God keeps on saying to him, well, never mind, John, just don't forget that God is still on that throne. And so we think of that unforgettable throne of those who are over there on the other side right now. They're gazing upon that throne, holds no terrors for them because they see one there upon that throne who is quite evidently the Lamb of Calvary. Then there's that unforgettable throng. There are the cherubim, the four and twenty elders, the countless ranks of the angelic hosts. One could profitably spend a whole hour with each of these three different kinds of beings that are associated uh, with the worship of that unforgettable throng, the cherubim. We think of the singleness of their function. That's all. They just do one thing. They gaze upon him as he sits upon that throne and they sing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord. Thrice Holy God, Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit. He rivets their attention. They proclaim throughout the universe the absolute holiness, the awesome, terrifying holiness of God. Brings to mind the reaction of the prophet Isaiah having gone all down through chapter 5 saying, Woe to you and woe to the other and woe to everybody when he saw that throne and the one who sat upon it, he said, Woe is me. He saw those sinless sons of light as they stood around the throne of God. They hid their faces in their wings because they couldn't dare to gaze upon the awesome majesty and holiness of him who sits upon that throne. His sanctity, the singleness of their function and the singularity of their form. One had the face like a lion, one had the face of a calf, one had the face of a man, one had the face of an eagle. It has been often pointed out that this reflects the four Gospels. Matthew is the Gospel of the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Mark is the Gospel of the calf, the son of man giving his life in service, like the ox harnessed to the plough giving his life in sacrifice. The one with the face like a man reminding us of the Gospel of Luke and the one with the face like a flying eagle reminding us of the Gospel of John. And these creatures who spend all their time gazing on the Lord in glory, each one reflects somewhat of his likeness. That's what John tells us. He says we should be like him. For we shall see him as he is. That's the crowning wonder of heaven. When you look at the other great description of the glory round that God that John gives just before he closes the book, as the crowning final thrill that awaits the child of God on the other side of the sea, having described the walls of Jasper and the foundations of Blaze with precious stones and the gates of pearl and the golden streets and the crystal stream and the tree of life 
and all the rest of it as the very last thing the capstone of it all he says and they shall see his face they shall see his face the cherubim the four and twenty elders who sit on thrones surrounding his throne and who time and time again not only in these chapters but throughout the entire book of Revelation they keep on getting up off their thrones and casting their crowns at his feet owning their all sovereignty their, their thrones their throne beings whoever they are sitting on thrones in glory but all they can think of is whatever sovereignty they have is subject to his sovereignty they throw their crowns at his feet fall down and worship him and then there is not only that unforgettable throne and that unforgettable throng but the great theme of the chapter is that unforgettable thrill as the challenge of God is proclaimed throughout the universe who is worthy to take the scroll and unloose the seven seals thereof title deeds of this planet in the hand of him who sits upon the throne there was a silence that could be felt there wasn't a soul that was worthy it didn't say who was willing there had been a stampede it said who is worthy not a single child of Adam's ruined race worthy to take that scroll Abraham, Isaac and Jacob sit in silence David and Solomon, Enoch and Elijah, Noah, Job and Daniel, Peter and Paul, James and John and Jude, not a single one of all the creatures born on this planet fit to govern the globe. That silence shattered by a sob, John says, I wept much. Tears running down his cheeks. And then comes that that awesome moment, there isn't a moment more dramatic than this in all the scope of literature or within the covers of this blessed book as John turns to behold the lion of the tribe of Judah and looks face into the, straight into the face of the Lamb of Calvary. It's astonishing when you stop to think about it that the Lamb that the Lord Jesus only called the Lamb twice in the Old Testament. Once in Isaiah 53 and once in the book of Job. He's only called the Lamb twice in the Gospels. That's in connection with John the Baptist pointing him out as he walked beside the Jordan. He's only called the Lamb once in the book of Acts and that's a quotation from Isaiah 53 to the Ethiopian eunuch. He's only called the Lamb once in all the epistles. And that's where Peter says he was, uh, that, that we're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but as of the blood as of a Lamb without spot and without blemish. But he's called the Lamb 28 times in the book of Revelation. And it's not the usual word for Lamb either. It's the, it's, it's the word that means a little lamb. A little lamb. 
And once he's introduced in the book here in chapter 5, John can't take his eyes off him. And it's the lamb, the lamb, the lamb, all the way through the book from beginning to end. The lamb of Calvary. No ordinary lamb. Seven horns, seven eyes. Omniscience, omnipotence. In this book, Satan has a great red dragon. God has a little lamb. But that little lamb's more than a match for that great red dragon. And as he steps into the spotlight of eternity, John says, I wept much. The elder says, Weep not. Behold, and the Lord Jesus steps right into the spotlight of eternity. I've often wondered what he would have said. If the one upon the throne had said to him, by what right? On what do you base your claim to these title deeds of planet Earth? Well, I know exactly what he would have said. He would have said, that world is mine by right of creation because I made it. That world is mine by right of Calvary because I bought it. And that world is mine by right of conquest because I'm going back to take it. And all of a sudden, that entire multitude in the glory land burst into the hallelujah chorus. Worthy, O Lamb of God, art thou, that every knee to thee should bow. That's the new song. That's the new song. We've already learned it, you see. And every time uh, we occupy ourselves with him and uh, tune our hearts to sing his praise, we're just getting in tune with those who are on the other side who are doing exactly the same thing. That's what they're doing over there. They're gazing on the Lamb of God and pouring out their hearts in worship. As the hymn says, when in yonder glory I sing the new, new song, it will be the same old story that I have loved so long. Worthy, O Lamb of God, art thou, that every knee to thee should bow. They're not very far away that we can join our voices with theirs, shall we pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that there is such a truth revealed to us in the Bible as the oneness and the unity of the body of Christ, and that every single member has been written into your book. Some of them are already over there, some of them are still down here. But one day, one day, your purposes will be complete. We'll all stand together on that crystal stream and fill all heaven with praise to him who sits upon the throne.
We do pray in a special way tonight for those who are grieving our dear brother. We miss him already. We remember the words of Jonathan to David, Thou shalt be missed, for your seat will be empty. We know we have already felt that tonight. He's missed already. But it won't be long, Lord, and we'll all be together again. More beautiful and more wonderful. Able to sing with the sweetest song. Everyone just like Jesus for all eternity. We ask you that you will comfort those who particularly are bereaved tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name.